Good to be with you this morning. We're continuing our series in the encounters with Jesus. Now, the rich young ruler is an interesting event that's recorded for us in the scriptures. Now, if something's in the scriptures, it's important. Would you not agree, like? Absolutely. God wants us to know about that. If it's mentioned a few times, it's really important. If it's mentioned a lot right through the scriptures, like redemption, salvation, you know, all that sort of thing, very, very important. I'd like to point out to you this morning that this account, this, this, this event that happened, is recorded in three of the four Gospels. All right? What does that make it? Important. Very important. All right? And also, this morning, I'm going to look at this uh, in a composite way because um, we, we get little bits of information about this, this uh, ruler and this event um, in, in, in all the three Gospels, little bits and pieces. You know, an eye, eyewitness, eye testimony, um, you, you pick up little bits and pieces. For example, uh, we don't read that he's a ruler here, do we? No. That's found in Luke. When you read the account in Luke, you find that, it's, that he's, the, he's, a, he's a, young, a rich young ruler. And uh, we don't read uh, that he's, he's uh, um, young in this passage. We don't read that. We see that, uh, we do, we see it in Mark. Uh, we, we don't see that he's, he's uh, super rich either. It says that he's very wealthy. But, so we get, we get all these accounts, all these intimate details in the three Gospels. So it's very important. So this morning... As we look at this together, just hang on a second. I'd like to ask you a question. Is this glass half full or half empty? Serious. It's a very serious question because it's important how we look at things, isn't it? Psychologists would tell you, if you think this is half full, you're a very positive person. You look at things in life in a very positive way. Can you not see this line? Here you go. Half full or half empty? What do you think? All right. If you see it as half empty, and you look at things probably a little bit cautiously, a little bit on the negative side. For example, you know, if you're going on a long trip and your, your fuel gauge is, is, is halfway, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to run out of petrol soon. That's half empty. If it's half full, you say, especially if you're driving a Mazda 6, you say, I've got 350 k's to go. You know? That's how we look at life. What sort of person are you? Are you a half-full person or half-empty person? There is a third option, of course. There is a third option. You see, this glass can be refilled. All right? Mm, what sort of person does that make you? Odd. Yeah, odd. You see, there is another viewpoint, isn't there? Sometimes we're locked in. We're locked into seeing things one way or the other, black or white. And sometimes we go with a, with a common trend, the common thinking. Now, this is how we're going to look at this passage this morning. We're going to look at it. It can be refilled. 
Because the viewpoint we're going to look at this morning isn't the traditional way we, this passage is looked at. We're not going to look at whether a rich person can be saved or not, or whether it's hard or difficult, because my brief stops at verse 22, because the, the, the event actually goes on. We're not going to be looking at whether Jesus is teaching salvation through works or, or good deeds. We're not doing that either this morning, because we're not looking at it half full or half empty. We're looking at the glass can be refilled. But we're not going to even going to, even going to touch on what the eye of the needle means, whether it was literal or not, or whether it was a gate or... No, we're not going there either. Because this morning we are looking at this passage from a different point of view. We're looking at it from the point of view of an encounter with Jesus. That's what, how we're looking at it. That's the lens, the glasses, whatever you want to use. That's the viewpoint this morning, an encounter with Jesus. Very, very important to keep that in mind. So the person who's encountering Jesus, who is he? Who is he? Well, Sam uh, did steal a few things from me, but that's okay. I'm just going to repeat them. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Now, you can look at that two ways. A worldview, he's got it all. He's young, he's rich, he's successful, he's got everything, he's got it made. Or you can look at it from the point of view that uh, being rich, he could have self, a lot of self-confidence, self-sufficient. Being young, he could be brash and arrogant. A ruler, he could feel you know, superior, a cut above everyone else, wanting to be in charge. Whichever way you look at it, and I think the, probably the rich young ruler looked at it this way, that he, he probably had it all. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. But if you had followed the passage carefully, you would, you'd notice that there was something that he knew he was lacking. Something was not right. And I love this because this shows me how wonderful God is. Sometimes we think of God as a harsh overlord, you know, like he's harsh and he's big into judging, you know, just waiting to be able to punish people, send them to hell. But that's not what God's like. I've looked at, at the scriptures for a long time now and I don't find that picture of God at all because here we have something that God has done which is not... Over the, uh, overly uh, obvious, but he's given this young man a conscious awareness that something isn't quite right in his life. You, you, would you agree? He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And yet, he comes and bows, or, or he kneels, at the feet of Jesus. He knew something wasn't right. And that's the grace of God, isn't it? It's God's grace to give him that awareness. And maybe this morning he's given you that awareness. Maybe something's not quite right with you as a believer or as an unbeliever. And God in his grace has given you the opportunity to to just notice that. To think about it, consider it, just like this rich young ruler. 
And then, it's not just about God giving us a consciousness and being, and being gracious, but it's, a, it's an act of love. That's what I see it as. An act of love. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says there that God is not willing or not wanting that anyone should perish. Anyone should perish. And so God gave this rich young ruler the awareness of his need and also he directed him to where he could find the answer, the solution to his need. We get to verse 18 and uh, he he gets pulled up. He, uh, it's, this is a very interesting verse it's, it, where it talks about the Lord asking, why do you call me good? Because that's what the rich young ruler did in the previous verse. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? And I think that for me, that shows me that this young man, he knew. He'd obviously had heard about Jesus. He obviously had, had heard about the miracles, maybe even had, a, had witnessed some himself. He'd listened to some of the teaching, perhaps. He knew about this man, Jesus. And he acknowledged that he was what? A, a teacher. A teacher instructs. You can learn from a teacher. Is that right, Chris? You, you should. You should be able to learn from a teacher. Yeah, all right. And so, and so, so we have a recognition here that this is where I go. This is the, where I get the, the, the information from. This is the source from where I get the answer to this question, to this lack. And it's an interesting response that we have, isn't it, from the Lord. He says, why do you call me good? Because good, in, in, especially in the Old Testament sense, the Jewish people thought, thought that there was no one good. But God. No one was good but God. And sometimes we, you know, we, we minimise the word good, but that's how they saw it in the Old Testament. Good equaled God. Good teacher identifies Jesus Christ as God. And the words or the teaching from this good teacher is God's word. And that's not a long stretch because I'll explain it to you in a minute why that isn't a long stretch. But it's an interesting response what the Lord gives, isn't it? It's an interesting response. The encounter with, with the good teacher who had the words, or at least the young man hoped he had the words that could lead him to inherit eternal life. And this is what the teacher said. You know the commandments. You know the commandments. If I had been the rich young ruler, I would have been a bit deflated with that. You see, there was no new revelation. He was this new prophet had come, this new teacher in Israel, performing wondrous miracles, feeding thousands of people. Obviously a man of God or a man from God. And he goes up and he says, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. No new revelation, no qualified teaching or instructions, no doctrinal viewpoint. All right? You know the commandments. And he did. He did know the commandments. And it's really interesting, isn't it, what the Lord says here. He, 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 he recites or he, he reiterates the commandments, but not all of them, only six. And interestingly, he leaves off the first one and the last one when he, when he mentions the commandments. He didn't, he didn't go through the whole ten. Interesting. The question is always asked, isn't it? Do, is, is keeping the commandments, will keeping the commandments get someone saved? Yes and no. Yes and no. Alright? That's the answer. Sort of. You see, God had given a system of, by which in the Old Testament, the people of God could be righteous before God. He'd given them a, a, a set of instructions, ten simple rules. And when you look at them back in, in, uh, in, in Exodus, when you look at them, they, they are simple. They're not hard to do on the surface. And that's what God given, had given them. Now, God, God's pretty wise, isn't he? He's pretty smart. They, the people wanted to know what they had to do to please God, to be right with him. And he says, here you go, here's ten things you can do. Ten things. But he knew that uh, they wouldn't be able to keep them. Not because they were hard. Because when you look at them, seriously, when you look at them, they're not that hard to keep. But God knew the heart of man and he knew that they would not be able to keep them. And so with the Ten Commandments, he, he, he instituted the offerings, the sacrifices for when they fell, when they fell short of keeping those commandments. That was the system in the Old Testament of being right with God, of being righteous before God. And the commandments did more than just give you an eternal life. They, they also helped people to live. This is how God wanted people to live. And it's very similar, isn't it, to salvation as we know it in the New Testament. You see, salvation's a little bit like, I mean, what they had there was a little bit like what we have with, with our faith in Jesus Christ. Brings salvation. Brings righteous standing before God. Brings us eternal life. But that's only a start, isn't it? Because God also has an expectation for us to become like Jesus and live like him and follow certain standards of living. So the rich young ruler's response is, I've kept these since I was a boy. And that's probably true. Or at least he knew about them. But if you go back to the Old Testament, you realise that by the age of 13, they would have memorised those Ten Commandments. They would have uh, um, known them and sought to live them out. But knowledge is one thing. 
but what to do with it, how to live it out. Matthew, In Matthew's account of this, the Lord clearly states that if you want to enter into eternal life, it says, obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. Now, the nation of Israel, they tried to do that. They tried to do it traditionally, ritualistically, habitually, but they all constantly failed. And really that, that response was was not the right one. It really wasn't. In verse 21, verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him. When he when 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 the rich young ruler said, I've kept them since since I was a boy, the Lord looked at him. And and you know, I, I, I know why it was written there, because you would think that if you if you if you, if you took a moment and, and just reflected on that, you would think he would have looked at him in judgment, saying, you didn't keep them. You, you, you couldn't have kept them. You're fooling yourself. He could have done all that. But it doesn't say that. What does it say, Lorraine? Lorraine, it says there, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him. That's the omniscience of God. You see, the Lord, the Lord knew exactly this young man's condition, his heart condition. He knew that he, he desperately wanted to go to heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Yes, nobody says, oh, I don't want to go to heaven, I'd rather go to hell. Maybe a few idiots might, but most people, secretly even, would want to go to heaven. Everyone wants to go there. I've been to a lot of funerals where people have not lived a life of faith and, 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 and from the, from the, the front there, People would, you know, say, oh, you know, he's in a nicer place, in a better place, you know, looking forward to seeing him again. He's with auntie so-and-so and granny so-and-so. That's how we, we'd like to think. We'd all like to go to heaven. And the Lord knew this man's heart. He was all-knowing. And he loved him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And God demonstrated his love to us in in giving his son to be our saviour. Time and time again in the scriptures it talks about the love of God and the love of Christ. But love didn't excuse the the rich young ruler. You know, sometimes as a grandfather and as a father, and I love my kids and my grandkids, I overlook some of the bad behaviour. I make excuses for them. Oh, it doesn't matter. That's okay. You know? Because I love them. And here we have the Lord looking at this rich young ruler, and we know because it says so, he loved him. But it didn't excuse the rich young ruler. There was no compromising God's word here. No compromising God's standard or God's requirements. 
in spite of the fact that God, that the Lord loved him. And the, and the love that the Lord had for this rich young ruler made the Lord tell him the truth. The truth. Not what was acceptable at the time. Not the woke ideology. Not his opinion. That told him the truth. He says, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. In, in, in the other accounts, I think it's in Luke, the, 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 the man himself, the rich young ruler himself says, I, I lack, what do I lack? He, he says, I, I lack something. He, he acknowledges that he lacks something. Now I'm not suggesting for a moment that, that the Lord is teaching his salvation by works. He's not doing that. He's not saying, you know what, if you actually sell all your stuff, you'll be right. He's not saying that. He's just using this as an illustration to bring this man to a point where he himself recognises what he's lacking, where the problem lies. And, and verse 22 proves that Jesus was right, doesn't it? You see, the first commandment that the Lord didn't mention was not obeyed. It wasn't being kept by the rich young ruler. That, what's that commandment? To love the Lord your God before anyone or anything else, to worship nothing else other than God first. And commandment number 10 was do not covet, you know. They were the two linchpins, weren't they, of the, of the, of the commandments. Love God, love your neighbour. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't love God. He didn't, he had another God, didn't he, as Sam pointed out. And we see there in verse 22 that his face fell and he went away sad, sad. Now he could have responded differently and here Sam stole another bit of my sermon, but that's okay. I'll just give you a quick, a quick summary. He went away sad. You see, because he could have responded differently and the response is all important with God. Always has been, always has been. You see, the Lord knew his heart. The Lord knew he, how he would respond, but the Lord had to show him the condition of his heart. You know, with Abraham and Isaac in, in Genesis there, we have a very similar situation. Now you've just, you've just heard from Sam the story, so I'm not going to repeat it. But what we have there was God required, God required from Abraham to show God that he actually did love God first, more than anything else in, in the whole the whole world, in Abraham's world. And so he asked Abraham to do probably the hardest thing a parent could do. And it was more than that because this was this was Abraham's only son and uh, you know real son, you know if between him and, and, and Sarah. And I can just imagine Abraham watching his, his boy, his young boy grow up. How proud he would have been. That's my boy. And God says, take that boy. 
and offer him up as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Now you know and I know God does not like human sacrifices. Dead against it. Why did he do, why did he ask Abraham to do that? It was a test. And God does that sometimes. This was a test as well. Did Abraham offer up Isaac on the altar? No. Yes. As far as God was concerned, yes. We know the story. You know the story. This rich young ruler did not have to sell all his goods. God, the Lord didn't cause him to make that choice that he made, did he? He could have chosen something else. He could have chosen to say, I'll do that. And if he had done that, I have no doubt in my mind that there would have been a different ending to this little passage. It would have been, and the Lord said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's only kidding. Just come and follow me. That's what it would have had. That's what we would have had in the three Gospels. But no, we don't have that, do we? Because the man chose his wealth. So what's the application for you and me this morning? Why are we doing this? Why are we going through this like this? Why are we, are we looking at it like from this point of view? What do we learn from this encounter with Jesus? I think we learned a few things. And I'm going to try and illustrate it to you this morning in this way. Wouldn't it be great, Jean, wouldn't you love to be able to ask the Lord that question that you have? That question that you, if I could just ask the Lord that. Sam, you've got one, have you? At least one? Absolutely. We all have them. I have it. I would love to be able to meet the Lord face to face and say, Lord, you know, in this little passage, I'd love to do that. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you'd love to ask the Lord that question that you've got. Absolutely. The burning question. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was preaching here at Monty next week, next Sunday? No slight on Lee. Lee's a good speaker, but, you know. Wouldn't it be great if you knew that the Lord was going to be preaching next Sunday? Hmm? How would that look? Hey, I'll tell you how it would look. Everyone would be here on time for a start. We would all be here on time. And you'd want to catch a glimpse of the speaker because, you know, the speaker's a good speaker, a really good speaker, gets to the church at least 10 minutes beforehand because he knows all the elders are stressing out, waiting for him to turn up, otherwise they're going to have to fill the void. No, seriously. And so, you know, you come in and there's the Lord sitting near the front. Everyone be here on time. And if you really couldn't make it, people that are watching this on, online, you'd be watching the live stream, not in your pyjamas, not in bed. Hmm? You wouldn't. The chairman, the chairman would, would, after we've sung our opening hymn, the chairman would acknowledge the Lord and call him up for an interview. 
like we do with special speakers. Yeah? What's he going to say? The anticipation. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Well, what's he going to tell? What are the stories he's going, to, he's going to relate to us? I'll tell you what he's going to say. Without a question, he's going to tell us about the Father. He's going to tell us about the Father. That's what he's always done. He's not interested in self-promotion. He's going to tell us about the Father. He's going to tell us about how great God's love is. He's going to tell you how much God loves you. He's going to tell you about God's will for you. He's going, he's going, he's going to explain to you how, how glorious God is and how what a privilege it is to be part of God's family. Then he'll sit down, we'll have another hymn, and then there'll be communion, Ken. The Lord's here, we're going to have communion. And I can just imagine the Lord listening to, listening to it all intently, right? listening to it all. And, 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 and being interested in what was being expressed about remembering his death, burial and resurrection. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And, you know, I can just imagine, you know, it would be good, you know, probably not now because we don't do it this way, but as the bread goes past, you know, you know, just imagine the Lord thinking, oh, yeah, broken body, broken body for, for them, you know. And he's, he's sneaking a little look to seeing, you know, who's taking it, you know. And after the communion, we'd have the scripture reading, the portion of scripture we're going to study that morning that the Lord is going to talk about. And of course, we'd have Colleen reading it because she's our best scripture reader, right? Colleen would come up and she'd read the scriptures and there the Lord would be going, he'd be nodding. He'd say, absolutely. And she'd be reading away and and he would be nodding. He'd say, yep, absolutely. He'd agree with every bit of it. Then, we'd, then he would call up to take the sermon. And he'd come up and he'd pause for a moment and he would just look out, look out. The anticipation, the anticipation. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? This is going to be great. The Lord's here preaching today. Wouldn't that be great? What a service that would be, brothers and sisters. Eh? What a service that would be. But he's here this morning. He's here this morning, not next week. He probably will be here next week as well. But he's here this morning, brothers and sisters. Have you got that? Because he himself said, in Matthew eighteen twenty four, where two or three are gathered in my name. I mean, that, that requires a bit of explaining, which I don't have time to do this morning. But in my name, there I am with them. So when, when, when we meet in the Lord's name, it's just not a ritual. We meet with the Lord. He is here with us. The good teacher is here now. And what are you asking him? 
Because he can teach you anything this morning. Absolutely anything. I've sat in services for a long time, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And just about every Sunday, the Lord teaches me something, not just from what was being said in the sermon, sometimes from a hymn, sometimes from a testimony, sometimes it's just a rebuke, sitting there listening, a rebuke, every Sunday. What is troubling your heart this morning, brothers and sisters? What is it? The rich young ruler, he was troubled. He knew he did not have eternal life. What about you? Have you got eternal Are you sure you have eternal life? That's a good question. But as the people of God, you probably do have eternal life. You've probably accepted Jesus as your saviour. But I'm sure there's other things that are troubling your heart. What barrier is preventing, and, he, and again, this man stole that, what barrier is preventing you from a closer, more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ? What is it that you like? Do you know what the Lord would say if he was preaching, actually preaching from the platform here this morning? Do you know what he would say? He would say exactly what the word says. All right? He would not give you his opinion. He would not give you the, 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 the doctrinal uh, viewpoint that your church may hold. He wouldn't offer up the opinions of other scholars or Bible colleges or theologians, no matter how, how good they are. He wouldn't be quoting Charles Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle, who I think are very good godly men. I've got many of their books on my sh- on my shelf, <coughs> pardon me. No. He would be faithful to the text. He would explain to you what was read from the portion of God's word. He would tell you what it said with truth and with love. Because he would look out at, at you and he would see you and he would know what's in your heart. He would know what's troubling you, what's keeping you awake at night. He would know that, just like he knew with the rich young ruler. And you know what else? You know what else, Lorraine? He would love you. He would look out there and say, I love Fiona. I love Peter. Even Damo. I mean, he would. He would, he would, he would do that. And he would tell you, God's will, God's communication to you with love that he wouldn't hold back the truth. And you know that sometimes the truth hurts. Brothers and sisters, we are in a privileged position here this morning, very privileged position, just like the rich young ruler. What was his position? Kneeling before the good teacher, the Lord. We're here this morning. We're bowing before Jesus Christ. We have access to the good teacher. And here's a little bit I wanted to share with you. In 1 John, in 1 John, no, sorry, sorry, the wrong one. In John chapter 1, that's the other gospel, right? The last gospel. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. 
In the beginning was the Word, where the Word was with God and was God. He, that's Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So, so this young rich ruler met with God face to face. Because it says in John 14, 1 John verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the Lord is here this morning. Amongst us. Have we got that? That's a privileged position. Not everyone experiences that. We have access to the good teachings. We have his words. We have read his words this morning. If you've got a Bible like mine, they would have been in red. They're the the actual words of Jesus. We've read them. So what do we lack? What do you lack? Have you got the courage to ask the Lord this morning, what do I lack? Because it takes courage to do that because you you know what's coming back. He's not going to say, there, there, Raph, don't don't worry, it'll all be good. He's going to tell me the truth. You see, the spirit of truth will reveal what the situation really is. Just like it did with the rich young ruler. His face fell and he went away sad. Not because the Lord didn't love him. We know that's not true. Not because the Lord couldn't save him because we know that's not true. Not because he had no other choice because we know that's not true. just didn't want to accept the truth. He had made a choice. So this morning, will you be glad or sad? Because you've met with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, do you realise this morning you've had an encounter with Jesus? May the Lord bless